You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Good morning. It's so great to be with you all this morning. It's always a good time being together with God's people, opening God's word and hearing what he has to say to us. I would encourage you to, if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 6, and we've been working our way through the book of Revelation together. And we come now to verse 12. In in your Bible, uh, many of them will have headings. This one is headed for me as the sixth seal, terror. And as you see on the screen, I, I have titled the sermon something a little bit different, which I think will surprise us as we go along the way. I hope that you're beginning to see that as a church, as we walk through the, the book here, as we walk through Revelation, is everything okay? Okay. Um, as we walk through this book together, um, one of the things that we are seeing, I hope you're beginning to recognize, is that there's more happening here in this book than we realized at the beginning. Right? Many of us maybe have come to Revelation and we, we're thinking, this is just a scary book. I don't know what to do with all of the images and all of the things that are, that are happening here. But I hope that as, as we're beginning to delve into some of these passages, that we're starting to notice together that this book is doing more than meets the eye at first. The, the very idea of Revelation, as we've discussed, is this pulling back of a curtain. It's revealing something that was hidden beforehand. And so we're learning, all of us, we're training our minds to be able to see what God is up to behind the scenes. And we're beginning to see that this, while this is a book that does talk about the future, this is also a book that speaks to each and every one of us where we are and where we live today. And so what a great thing it is that we're spending time walking through these passages together, verse by verse, through this book. I'm going to read the verses that we're looking at today. Let's read these together. Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, we find this. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people, and the commanders, and the wealthy, and the strong, and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand. Imagine with me for a moment that you were to wake up one day and believing it to be a somewhat normal day and what you found was disease spreading over the earth. You found that the food was was hard to come by. Not only that, the earth 
is shaking and the sky goes dark. What is your thought? What goes through your mind? One, we might think of a bunch of things. We might think of terror, as we find here. We might find reasons to be worried and reasons to be scared. But I want to suggest to you as as believers, as those who, who find themselves in Jesus Christ, the thing that should be going through our minds here, the the feeling that comes is comfort. How do I see that? What is that? Well, one of the first things to see is that this this passage isn't in isolation. It comes from the verses that came just before. And you remember from last week, as we read, we see the voices of the martyrs in the fifth seal. And in verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? In a very real way, this seal, this part, is an answer to what comes before. You see, the question from the martyrs, is the question of how long, O Lord? When will justice be served? When will it end? When will sin and death be no more? And this comes as an answer to that. This comes as a comfort to those who are crying out for how long, O Lord? And of course, you and I experience that that question or similar related questions in so many different ways. You know the way that you ask the question. Maybe it is specifically a a how long, O Lord. But the related questions come to us in all sorts of ways. Why am I suffering like this? Why is this happening to me? Is God really good if there's suffering in the world? These are the sorts of questions that come out in this, how long, O Lord? And while there are many, many difficult things that we could say about it, it would take way too long than we have this morning to to explain and understand, and really none of us will until we are face-to-face with the Lord. There are some key things that we can find here in this text. Some truths that if you and I begin to understand what they mean for us, we will be able to experience the comfort that God has for his people even on the darkest, literally the darkest days that will come. These are pieces of the, of the framework that we can put together that make it possible for us to believe and know this. We can see right from reading these verses that we have a description here of an end. We have a description here of, of the, the final judgment that we just heard about in 2 Corinthians. We read about it in other places in Scripture. Fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. We see creation itself falling apart. The reign of sin and death will end. This describes an ending. This is one of many pictures that we will see in the book of Revelation as we walk through it. But, but this is, there's hope. 
The idea that there is an end is a good thing for us. And this tells us a number of things about God's approach to to sin and evil in the world that are crucial for us to wrap our minds around. The the reign of sin and death will end. Some things that we see here that God's response toward evil is real. God takes evil and sin seriously. He doesn't dismiss it. We We see a judgment. We see people hiding themselves. And the question here at the end is, who is able to stand? The answer is, no one. No one can stand on this day. Apart from Jesus Christ, as we'll see. But God's response here, this is destruction. This is judgment. The language of judgment pulled from so many places in Scripture, piled one after another, after another, after another, all in a handful of verses. God's response towards sin is not to dismiss it. It is real. This is hard to say this enough. I know we've said this before. It's so hard to say it enough. God doesn't dismiss our hurts. He bore them. We we can't just say that what happened doesn't matter, that that the, the pain, the trauma, the hurt, the things that you've gone through weren't such a big deal. They were a big deal. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. But that's why there's a judgment coming. Because real evil requires a real response. That's what we have here. The day will come when these things will end. There is an end. And sometimes that simple truth is helpful to remember. Just the, the idea that there's something, something to hang on to. This won't last forever. We read a moment ago, as Paul called his suffering, momentary light affliction. If you know anything about the life of Paul, many of us wouldn't describe that as light affliction, but he did. He did because he knew that it wasn't forever and that what it was accomplishing was something so much more and so much better. The idea that this has an end and this describes an answer to the question of how long, O Lord, reminds us and tells us that in the end, all will be made right. Do you hear that? All will be set right. Things are not right right now. I don't need to tell you that. You know that in your life. You feel the the broken relationships. You feel the difficulties of life, the pain of labor in the world. But all will be made right one day. This passage, this reminder, this uh, glimpse into the future tells us something. It tells us that this is inevitable. This is going to happen. Jesus will come and all will be made right. You know, people, in a way, I think want to believe this. I actually heard not too long ago on a podcast, uh, there were some people, they were not believers. They were talking about the belief of uh, Martin Luther King, and they were talking about how he described justice as having a long arc, that there was a moral arc to the universe, and it bends toward justice, is how he would say it. You see what I mean? Like, you might not see 
uh, punishment to evil happening today. But in the end, he knew from Scripture, it's heading that way. It is bending toward justice. And the people on the podcast were discussing this idea because they were, they were thinking to themselves, I want to believe that. That sounds good. But they had zero basis to believe that it's true. And they were trying to make sense of how do we live in a world and how do we, how do we fight for, for, for good and right things in the world? How do we fight for, for good relationships? Why do, we do, why do we just give up? Why don't we just give up on trying to do things? If we don't have a guarantee, they said it looked so, it was so good to have that hope, and they wanted that hope. But they didn't have it. And you and I, we have that hope. We have a guarantee that things will be set right. Do we share it? Do we share, do we share it as good news? Hey, while we do know from Scripture there is no one who seeks God, we also know from Scripture that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. And that, that in so many ways, others see the truth. They know, they, they believe at some level that, that this is how the universe works. This is where we're headed. This is how things were meant to be, and one day they will be set right. And you and I, we know that. We have that hope. We have that guarantee. Let's share it. Let's tell them. Do we see it as good news? This guarantee, this inevitability that the suffering is, is over, is, is ending soon, was brought home to me recently. And I know a few of you um, in the relatively recent past have had the experience of buying a house. I, I keep a list now of, of things where anytime I find a, an example in life where I find something that is already and not yet, I, I take a note of it because I love these reminders. I love to see something like when you've ordered your food and you know what you're about to get, but it hasn't quite settled into your stomach yet, you're not there yet, that moment of expectation, it's done, it's ready. This is a good one, though. I like this one. We bought a house last year. The day that you, you close, we have the keys. The house is mine, but I didn't have people coming over to help me move for another couple of weeks. And we had to do some painting. We had to do some things to get ready in the house. So there's this period of time where I own this new home. It is mine. But I don't live there yet. It's not home yet. And I remember this time last year when this happened. I was in this in-between time of owning the new house but not living there yet. I had an ongoing issue at the old house with, a, with the pipes that led into the washer. And for some reason, those things which could just never keep up with what the washer was trying to throw at it. And they would back up all the time. And I remember it happened again in those weeks. The pipe backed up. And you know what? I wasn't mad about it. <laughs> I just smiled. This is about over. I am so done with this. It's done. I have another home. These sufferings. 
they're, they're real. Look, it's, I don't mean to minimize. They're not all leaky pipes, clogged pipes. They're hard things in our lives. But they're ending. There's an end. Things will be set right. We also see from this passage another, another way that this helps us to, to uh, answer this question of how long is that it, it tells us that the things that seem to matter don't matter so much after all. Look here at what it says. The kings of the earth, the eminent people, the commanders, the wealthy and the strong. And before that, the stars and the sky, they fell. So you see... Hopefully, when I, when I read it to begin with, and just read it now, you, you hear the effect of it, right? There's this, and this, and this, the stars, and the sky, every part, the mountains, and the islands, and these people, and these people, and these people. You get this sense of, it's everything. It's everyone. But you also see here that, that these really are the sorts of things that you and I, apart from Christ, will use to try to make sense of the world. We try to find significance and meaning in, uh, like we're studying in ABF, what others think of us, looking at the, the important people in our lives, the eminent people, the kings, the commanders. The categories here provide this comprehensive list, talking, describing creation, the stars and the sun. These things in other places in Scripture are talked about as being the reliable things, right? The rising of the sun is described as a part of the faithfulness of God in Lamentations and in other places. But here we see even the sun itself isn't as faithful as our God. The stars that, that people would use to, to navigate. Remember back before there was GPS, there were stories of sailors, and I remember learning in the Boy Scouts back in the day out in the wilderness. We didn't have phones. You could, you could get a compass or something, but you could also look at the stars, and you could find which way is north. You could orient yourself around the stars. But here we have even the stars reliable for finding direction. The North Star is always there. It's not moving. Listen, the stars are falling from the sky. The things that seem to provide stability and significance, we find only did so in a partial way. And that really, the stability, the significance, it comes from God. We see here the idea of uh, social status, Questions like, who do you know that can get you things, that can provide you better opportunities? We find here, though, that no one is able to stand. Those things don't last. They won't. We find these people trying to hide themselves. Oh, I got a plan. We'll run away from the city and up into the mountains. Because that's what people would do sometimes, right? You had these fortified places in the mountains where you could hide if you had to. But even there, all of the plans, all of the the scheming that they use to come up with some sense of, of security won't work. It's nowhere to be found. Stop stop and think for a moment. 
Is there something that you would find as significant in the world that would, would help you to find identity and hope and purpose and direction? What are the sorts of questions that you would ask? And I dare you to try to see where they are here in this text. Because you'll find that the categories of, of creation that are here, the sky, the earth, the moon, the stars, listen, the sky being rolled back. You see that picture? All of the things that, that seem stable are not like we thought they were. And you and I, we find our, our sense of, of meaning, of what matters in so many different places. We need to learn to look beyond. We need to learn to see that, that God is up to something bigger than any of this. You know, there's definitely two ways that we can get this thing wrong. And we don't want to do this. We don't want to fall into this. The first way that we can, that we can get this wrong is that we can see passages like this that speak of a destruction, that speak of an end. And we can think, well, then I guess none of this physical stuff matters. We can hear passages like Paul talking about the, the earthly tent and desiring to be apart from it and think, oh, well, the, the body, the physical stuff, the creation, this doesn't matter. That's not really, I think, what, what God is saying. God created everything, and he created it good. And we know from later in Revelation, we will read that there is a new creation coming. Things will be set right the way that they should be. But, but many people have gotten this wrong. I heard recently uh, some accounts of ancient um, mystic monks who, deciding that the flesh was evil and they needed to, to liberate the spirit from the body, would stick their bodies in ovens. Um, and essentially just burn away the flesh with the idea that that's how you could release the spirit. We can hear that and we can say, that's wrong, right? That's not a good thing. But that's the same sort of thing that we believe when we think, well, this is all just going to burn anyway. Let's just get to the spiritual. On the other hand, we recognize that God is doing something. Yes, there is a decaying flesh, a tent. There's old, there's sin, there's destruction. There's bad in the world, there's bad in us. And God will get rid of that. But that doesn't mean that none of what we do here is significant. One of the stories that I found to be particularly helpful about this is found in a short story by J.R.R. Tolkien. He's famous for writing Lord of the Rings. But he's got this great little story called Leaf by Niggle. Um, and it's a terrific little story. If you get a chance to read it, I would highly recommend it. But the idea here is it's, uh, it's this guy named Niggle who tries to paint a picture. And he has this wonderful picture in his mind of this, this tree and this whole landscape. And as he starts painting, he paints a leaf. And he starts working on the leaf. And he works on this detail of the leaf. And then he gets called away for a friend. And they need him to help move or they need to do something. And he comes back and he works on the leaf a little bit more. And then he gets called away to do something else. And he comes and works on the leaf. And then he gets called away. And life's distractions just continue to get in the way. And uh, Niggle, in the story, as the story goes, he continues to work on the leaf. But uh, as life continues to provide these distractions, one day he, he dies. And people find among his things this, this beautiful uh, leaf that's all he painted was a leaf. But the story goes on to, to follow Niggle after his death. 
And what he finds in walking into this new world that, that God has afterward is he finds his leaf. And he finds the leaf better than he even could have painted it. And it's attached to a tree that's in the woods of a whole new world. The, the work that he was doing could never have been finished in his life. It was impossible for him to do it all during his life on earth. But there was, in his work, one little imperfect snapshot of that world to come. And he was able to share that one leaf, that one little glimpse into the world to come with everyone around him. And that's a little bit what this, this life can work, how it could work for you and I. Look, we'll never do everything perfectly. We'll never achieve everything. But, Lord willing, with the grace of God in our lives, the, the, the words of encouragement that you share with a brother or sister in Christ will build up their soul and it will live on into eternity. The display of creativity or justice or uh, the, the things that, that you would do by sharing the gospel, we are participating in God's work in this world. And it is a reality that will last beyond the end. It's something lasting. It's something eternal. And in a sense, it's already here. So we don't want to believe that what we do here doesn't matter. It does. God will bring it through the fire. We also, though, don't want a picture of heaven that is just uh, what we can imagine on steroids. Uh, I heard uh, one preacher give the question of if you were to get to heaven and find that uh, that thing that you loved wasn't there. It could be a person. It could be a food. It could be a whatever. What's your thing? You found out it wasn't there. No ocean, no sailing. I don't know. What is it? If you found that it wasn't there, would you still want to go there? It's a good diagnostic question because it reminds us that the answer for believers should be yes, because if Jesus is there, that's where I want to be. And if Jesus isn't there, then there's no list long enough of good things that would make it be a place worth being. And so we don't just imagine uh, what we can imagine on steroids when we think about the life to come. Rather, we desire to be with Jesus. You know, the world we live in is going to try to dictate, and it does dictate to us what is important, what matters to us. We see this in a, in a lesser way uh, with the way that um, I, I've heard people talk about uh, to-do lists and tasks as falling victim to the tyranny of the urgent. Have you heard about this? Where somebody comes in and says, this is the most important thing, and then this is the most important thing, and then this is the most important thing, and then you realize you've spent your entire day not working on things that really mattered, but just on the things that seemed most important at the time. That's true in terms of your, your day, your personal productivity or whatever. But that's also true in our lives more broadly. Which voices in your life are telling you what matters? 
what's worthy of your time and your attention. This is another thing that I feel like I said, we've said so often, and it's hard to, to kind of say it enough. We are all being taught and formed and shaped by different forces in our lives. And I hate to get too specific, but for some of us, it's Instagram and TikTok. It's the social media stuff. For others, it's paying attention to the news and the current events and all those things. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but you and I need to realize if you spend 40 minutes maybe in the Bible on a Sunday and five minutes even every day, and then you're spending hours and hours being molded and shaped by something else, you're not going to look like this. Your, your opinion of what's important in the world is not going to be shaped to look like Jesus. It's going to be shaped by something else. We do one catechism question every week as a church, and all of us are being catechized every day in different places. The world is telling us this is what matters, and this is what matters, and this is what matters, and this text is telling us that the world doesn't see what matters. The stuff that it says matters is going to be gone. There's something better. There is something eternal that we can begin to live in right now. Well, how can, we, how can we know this comfort? How can we see pieces of what this is? I love the picture here at the end in verse 16. Fall on us and hide us from, him, from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Isn't that great? Lambs are known for a lot of things. I don't picture wrath as one of them. You know what? I want to go all lamb on you. Watch out. Doesn't sound very scary. What's happening here? I love this. The picture of the lamb remains. We know, of course, that the lamb is Jesus. We know that, that the people here are people who are not trusting in Jesus. We know this from, from later in Revelation where there's almost an exact list and it tells us that they're sinners and ungodly. We know this from other places like in Joel chapter 2 and verse 18 where it says, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. If you read that passage, what you'll find is it's almost word for word the sorts of things that are happening here in Revelation. The sky dark, earth-shaking, all the list. But what we find is God having pity, having mercy on his people. Those who are in Christ find this to be a day of comfort. So there's this, this lamb, and I, and I love this picture of the lamb because what it does is he kind of holds on to the image. Revelation, the, the apocalyptic literature, is so great for this. There's this picture of this lamb, and you need to remember the lamb. The lamb has a lot of significance from Scripture earlier on, right? From the sacrifices of the Old Testament law, taking us all the way back to the Exodus, where the people sacrificed the lamb and put the blood on the door. The lamb has this sense of atonement. But 
Here, we find this lamb, Jesus, also exercising wrath. Judgment on those who are continuing to try to to find their, their hope and find their purpose in these created things. When it gets stripped away, they will feel it. And it will be stripped away. Jesus tells the Pharisees, they've already had their reward when they were seen by men. And that's the same sort of thing that we see here. These guys were were great kings, eminent people, commanders. That day's ending. They won't be that anymore. And so we hang on to this picture, both of the the lamb as the, the sacrifice while he begins to exercise wrath and judgment. But he won't let go of the picture of the lamb. It doesn't leave. The lamb remains. He keeps the lamb in the story. The lamb remains in the vision. That's a reminder for those who know what the lamb means. There's wrath, yes, but there's something else happening. It isn't, it isn't gone. You know, there's this moment. As the weather warms up, the theme parks begin to open. Many of you are uh, fans probably of roller coasters. Many reasons to go back to that. Some of you maybe aren't. There's this great feeling, there's this moment when a roller coaster is picking up the hill. It's going up, and it's getting higher, and higher, and higher. And you feel that combination of of excitement and tension, like, oh boy, here we go. Why did I do this? This is it. Here it is. I think that that sort of excitement, that sort of that terror-filled excitement is the sort of thing that should, that should be with Christians when we think about this. And I don't mean to trivialize, because I know that the sorts of things that are being discussed here are, are, are death and calling on the rocks to fall. But you know what? One of the things we see in Scripture again and again is this idea that, that almost have, you almost have to make a word for it. There's creation, and then there's like decreation or uncreation where the things that were made begin to sort of fall apart. And that's what we see here. This, this idea of the, the sky being rolled back and, and the, it going dark and the stars falling. This whole picture here is, is this picture of decreation. And the skies go dark. The food is short. Sickness. There's plague after plague, after plague, after plague, after plague. Now, wait a second. We've been here before. We remember the story. We remember Jesus bringing his people out of Egypt. Remember? Skies going dark, sickness. Creation itself seemed to be falling apart, but the people of God had the lamb, the blood of the lamb on their doorway. And what they were told instead was that this is time to get ready. This is time. 
One of the things that I love, and we were just mentioning it uh, a bit ago, we're d- for us to, to do the Lord's Supper this morning. It's such a good thing. It's such a good reminder because, you know, the, the, the picture of the Lord's Supper reflects back to the story of Passover in Scripture. And there's this meal that, that they had. It was a meal where they were told, listen, tomorrow we're leaving. Get ready. Get into your house. Kill the lamb. Put the blood on the door. Eat it. Have some bread. Get ready because we're getting up early and we're leaving. It's time for an exodus. It's time to leave. It's time to get out of here. Can you imagine that excitement? The feeling in those rooms that our, that our uh, Jewish neighbors uh, remind themselves of each year spending time at the, the Passover. That, that this thrill of, this is it, we're leaving. God is rescuing his people. We know that that was only a picture of what Jesus did for us in his own exodus. But I believe that you and I can see difficulties in life, even to the point of the sky falling And we can know this is it. We know. It'll be a roller coaster. It'll it'll be something else. But we know that this this is what redemption looks like in Scripture. God proving himself, showing that there are no other gods that are anything like him. No piece of creation that you could worship will be anything to hold a candle to our God who is faithful. And as each of them are moved out of the way, what is revealed is the face of the Savior. And those of us who know him, who have the the blood of the lamb on the doorway, we will find ourselves able to rest, able to sleep, knowing that the end is coming, no matter what. Now, I think I would be remiss if I spent all this time in this passage speaking to believers, although we do that a lot here in church, and I think that's a good thing, because that's most of us who are here. But if you're hearing this passage this morning, the emphasis here has been that if you know Christ, this is actually a comfort to you. But we need to hear, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you do not believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again, then this isn't comfort. This is terror. There's nothing here to be comforted by if you don't know Jesus. It's scary. And so maybe this would be your day that you would consider. That you would think again about why am I continuing to, to try to find my, to make sense of life, to find my meaning and significance here in these created things that are going to fall away. How can I know in a lasting way peace and have hope that all will be right? You can in Jesus. Grab one of the pastors at the back later on or or grab someone next to you and ask about that afterward. Believers, while there is still time, 
let's share the good news. Let's share about the hope that we have. There is no reason that even though we know that this is going to happen, we also know that this still is not the final end. That God is bringing and setting all things right as they should be. And so for everyone here, may we know and rest knowing that your Savior, the Lamb, has, is, and will rescue you. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you thanking you for your word, thanking you for the confidence that it affords us, the hope that we have for things that we we haven't seen yet, but we know are true because of who you are. I pray, God, that you would supernaturally take my sometimes jumbled thoughts and words and help them to sink into the hearts of your people. Help each of us to hear the truths of your word. That we would walk out from this place knowing, knowing who you are. Finding our our confidence in you. And trusting in you in a way that that we never, never have before. Our God, we pray that there would be peace in our hearts. We pray for those who don't know that you would bring them to yourself. Even this morning. We thank you again for your word and for the work that it's doing in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.